Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This week we're going to be talking about your summer reading list. Summer is finally here and that is when we are supposed to have more time to sit back, relax, and read some good books. Denise and I often get questions from you all asking for book recommendations, so we thought, why not do a whole show on books that we have really loved, enjoyed, and learned from, and share some books that are on our summer reading list that we are hoping to get to ourselves. So if you are in a place to do so, get out a pen and paper and write down some of these books. I will also create a list of the books we've mentioned on the show, and I'll post it on our Facebook page so that you can have that to refer to. But I wanted to start, Denise, with this fiction book I just finished listening to. I didn't read it. I listened to it on Audible. Um, oh, also, if you guys like to listen to books, but you don't want to pay for Audible, I don't know if you guys have heard of the Libby app. All you do is you download Libby. It's free. It's L-I-B-B-Y. And you sign in with your library card wherever you live in America. And then you can listen to all sorts of books for free on your phone. Isn't that awesome? Wow. I know. Unfortunately, this one is not on the Libby. I checked. I always will check there first and that they don't have it. I'll go to Audible. It's called The Unusual Life of Thomas Weaver by Sean Inman. And I'm going to tell you guys what it's about. And I'm not giving anything away because the story opens the first chapter with what I'm about to say. It starts out He's 13 or 14 years old, and his older brother, who's amazing and handsome and successful and popular, is about to graduate high school, and his whole life is ahead of him. And as a treat to his little brother, he's taking him to a party, first party ever. He's a freshman in high school. They go to this party. They have a ton of fun. The older brother gets drunk and can't drive. So the 14-year-old who just has his you know, driver's permit drives them home gets into an accident, and the brother dies. So that happens in the first five pages, so I swear I'm not giving anything away except the first five pages. And then after that, it just goes through his life and how his life is just kind of a series of failures because of this one event. He can't get beyond this. He's constantly blaming himself and punishing himself. So when he turns 50-something, he commits suicide. And he wakes up, and he's 14 again, and it's six months before that accident is supposed to take place. Oh Isn't that fascinating? So the book is actually a whole series of books because as it turns out, he starts to meet other people who recycle this way as well. And it's really interesting, Denise, because he's a 14-year-old kid again, but he has all the memories of being a 30-year-old, a 40-year-old, a 50-year-old. It's not like he's reincarnated and he has no memory. Mm -hmm. He knows everything. And like there's, you know, cute girls around him, but he can't look at them as cute girls because he's like a 50-year-old man in his head. They're like little girls. And so he has a really hard time adjusting. He can't sit in algebra class again. I and mean, can you imagine? No. So it's just, it's a really, really neat book. And it brings up all these concepts of, if you could do something over in your life, would you? And how would that affect the rest of your life? And there's these two ladies, and you don't know in the first book at least if they are angels or spirit guides, but they definitely live in a different dimension. And they are overseeing Thomas Weaver and how he is doing with this second chance. And so then as you get into the other books in the series, it kind of delves more into who these overseers are and, and how they are helping us. It's really, really neat. It sounds like it sounds like it goes in a lot of different directions as well. Would you want to do your life over again with all the memories that you have now? I don't think I would. I don't know that I would. I'm going to have to think on that a little bit. I know it's really made me think because I don't know it makes it makes you wonder gosh it would be nice to be back at that event and say no or yes to that or take that left turn instead of that right turn but when he describes sitting in high school again oh 
And he knows because of Facebook, he knows exactly what's going to happen to all the people in his class. And sometimes he'll tell them like, don't be such a jerk. You're going to end up as a three times divorced secretary. So why are you thinking you're so wonderful now? Like he spills it a lot and people are looking at him like he's kind of crazy, but it's just, it's a very, very thought provoking, fun read. I think people who are interested in spiritual stuff and paranormal and time loops and changes would enjoy it like I did. Okay. And it's a series so that if you really enjoy it, you can go on to the next one, right? Yes. I love that. I love when you find a book you like and then it's a huge series. Yes. For anyone who's waiting for the next Outlander book to come out, that right. series. That, that, <laughs> people are waiting with bated breath for that. Um, so, so what's first on your list? Uh, this book was gifted to me by this incredibly sweet woman. And the name of the book is Seeking Jordan, How I Learned the Truth Be About Death and the Invisible Universe. And it's by Matthew McKay, PhD. And it's about this man's son who was murdered. And it goes through this man trying to find a way to connect and to find his son again and to get answers. It's a very short read. It's a very easy read, but it's, it's very, um, it gives you a lot to think about. It's also very, very heart-wrenching, but also very heartwarming. Again, it's a quick book, but it's one that you could read a couple times and get something out of. Uh, I don't want to go into too much, but it's really a beautiful, beautiful little book. It's also nice to share. And the really cool part is the man who wrote it was a psychologist and a researcher. So he had that practical, linear, sequential. He wanted the evidence. And so it's not your typical book about after-death communication or near-death. This is a book for people who don't quite believe yet, but they really want more information and want to know what might happen. So I think I recommend that highly. I like books that are short reads too sometimes, especially for the summer. Mm -hmm. You can pack it on a weekend trip and, and read it. Um, the next one I want to recommend is a book I think I've mentioned a lot on this show, but I'm going to do it again. It's called Sacred Selfishness, A Guide to Living a Life of Substance by Dr. Bud Harris. Now, he lives right here in North Carolina, but he got his PhD at the Young Institute in Zurich, Switzerland. So he's got this amazing, amazing education. And it just describes a little bit of why he wrote this book. He writes, in his early 30s, Harris was restless and generally dissatisfied. He was terrified that the rest of his life would consist of going to work, meetings, church, soccer games, and vacations simply adjusting to what one's family or society describes as a good life. This full-blown full crisis led him into therapy and began a lifelong quest to become a person of substance. In Sacred Selfishness, Harris delves into classic quest stories to show that on the path of renewed personal consciousness, we must examine all assumptions about ourselves and our lives to uncover our hidden potential. True change must come from within, and no mere outer change can solve our problems. Attaining self-knowledge both softens and strengthens us and helps us love and appreciate life and other people. It affirms and enriches our choice of partners, vocation, and lifestyles. He says, when the inner quest brings change, we can be comforted by knowing it is authentic, has been carefully thought through, and values our past and other people. This is the path of sacred selfishness. Beautiful. And it really is. And it's, I, th I just think it's a great book for empaths to read who may be like me and have a really hard time with that attitude, the energy around that word selfish. That's something I've tried to avoid my whole life is being selfish. Mm -hmm. And yet this book is talking about how we have to embrace ourselves first. We have to love ourselves first we have to put ourselves first. You know, there's, there's this saying at my, my kid's school, when you walk in, there's this big bulletin board and it says joy. Put Jesus first, then others, then yourself. And one of my daughters came home one night at dinner and she was like, mom, that poster just really angers me. 
<laughs> and I said, why, honey? And she said, well, I get putting Jesus first, but if I spend my whole life putting others first, when is it my turn? Oh. And I thought, you know, that's very wise. She was only 12 at the time. And that poster is still up in, in school, even though she's now moved on to high school. And every time I'll go into the school and I look at it, I think of her and, and I think, I hope she does learn to put herself first. You can't always, gosh, as moms, we know that there are times when you just cannot put yourself first, nor should you. But in life, I think if we kind of ignore that advice of always putting other people first, and learn to focus on ourselves and our wants and our needs, by default, we will be helping others and choosing others in terms of sharing our own light. But we can't do it without learning to put ourselves first sometimes. And, and this book, Sacred Selfishness, helps you learn how to do that and, and give you permission for doing it. And for those of you who love the artist way, Julia Cameron like, loves this book as well. I love that book, The Artist's Way. I, I do read too. that several times. Maybe I need to read that again this summer. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, the next book that I'm choosing, and I've recommended this to a lot of people that I've done readings with, personal readings with, it's The Book You Were Born to Write by Kelly Notaris. And the, on the front of the cover, it says, Everything You Need to Finally Get Your Wisdom Onto the Page and Into the World. This woman worked as an editor for years and years. She still has an editing company. She walks you through the process of writing a transformational book that will get your message out there. It's very user-friendly. It's very succinct. You can follow through it. But I think if you've had it on the back burner of, I need to write a book, I need to get my truth out there, this may be something you'd like to explore. It's a wealth of information. It also, I mean, she starts right out with, helping you get clear on your motivation of why you even want to write a book or, uh, and how to craft that into a hook. And she gives you actual techniques and skills to use during the writing process, getting organized for the writing process, and what to do for the further steps towards publication. She asks at the beginning, if you're saying these things to yourself, I've always wanted to be an author. I know I have a book in me. People often ask me when I'm going to write my book. I have a story to tell, but I never seem to make time to write. This may be a resource that you'd like to check out. I agree. It, that's, that's a great one. There's another good one called The Nighttime Novelist, and that's for people who work full-time, and it breaks down the writing into weekend assignments to help you get a book done in a year. Ooh. I think having books that kind of guide you, like what I like about the book you were born to write, because you were kind enough to get me a copy as well, is she gives a lot of practical suggestions in there. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's this website thing you can subscribe to that helps you organize your book into chapters, for example. So she gives a lot of tools, not just you can do this type of stuff. Right. Very practical, very grounded, useful. Now, a book everyone's going to roll their eyes and go, yeah, we know, Samantha. But it's, it's a book I try to reread from time to time is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And like I said, I'm sure everyone's like, yep, we all seen it. But I recently reread it and I thought, yeah, this is something I need to keep coming back to because each time I come back to it, I learn something else. And when I was reading the first chapter, the, well, the first time I read it, it was chosen for a book club. And I remember this was like 20 years ago or 50, when it first came out, it was a long time ago. And I remember going, oh, this is so boring. Yeah, I know, present moment. At the time, I had three tiny little babies. I didn't have time to think about the present moment. I was living the present moment. You know, when you have little kids, that's all you have is the present moment. And it just, it resonated with me, but not really. And then I went back to it five years later, and it really stuck with me. And now I'm reading it again. And in the first chapter, he says, everyone who reads this book will learn something, even those of you who aren't ready to learn it. It will, it will be planted and will grow and blossom when you're ready. And I think that's so true for big, powerful books like that. I agree. And that's a, a staple to have on the shelf, too. That's a, one, that's a fun book to just go over. There's a word for this as far as divination. I can never remember what it is when you just randomly open to a page and you get the message that you need. Bibliomancy. 
Thank you. <laughs> That's a great book to do that with. Yeah, it's a good book to have on your nightstand. So if you can't fall asleep, you can just open it up and read a section or two. It's, you know, because it doesn't have to necessarily be read chronologically. So if anyone hasn't read it, or if it's been quite a while since you've read it, just consider adding it to your bookshelf this summer. If you want to go a little further down the rabbit hole with a similar topic, the book Awakening to the Secret Code of Your Mind, Your Mind's Journey to Inner Peace. And this is by Dr. Darren Weissman. And I believe it's based on his Lifeline sessions. And it's an amazing, amazing wealth of uh, ways to interpret and transform symptoms, stress, and disease through ancient spiritual wisdom fused with a modern-day understanding of the subconscious mind. And he, he, this is, he teaches you this lifeline technique, which is a blueprint and a roadmap of your subconscious mind to awaken your infinite potential for healing and wholeness. But there are so many activities and lessons and step-by-step -step things in this book. It's something that I don't think this is quite a, just a summer. You might do one part of it in the summer and then go back and do another part or you might go through the whole thing, but this is a very, very transformational book to help you get more in tune with your own inner knowing and the patterns in your subconscious mind that you may want to try to rewire and redirect in so you can overcome some things that may have been holding you stuck for a while. Say the name one more time. Awakening to the Secret Code of Your Mind, Your Mind's Journey to Inner Peace by Dr. Darren R. Weissman. Got it. Okay, that sounds really, really good. Yeah, it's, it's a, unbelievable. There are uh, illustrations on body things to do. There are mind-body techniques. There are, I mean, it's just so much that I'm looking forward to really diving into that one this summer as well. Well, one book that I turn to a lot, especially when we teach our classes, is Where Two Worlds Meet, How to Develop Mediumship by Janet Nehoevac. So if anyone is interested in developing their mediumship, this is just a great tool to have on your shelf. She has a lot of great exercises in here of wonderful stories, just packed with great tools for really understanding what connecting to the other side is all about. And what I like is she talks a lot about why we should try to be a medium. Like, for example, she says, mediums have a unique opportunity to serve humanity. Yes, we are open to attack from others whose belief systems restrict them, but we do our work anyway. We are called to be a glowing light in the darkness of this world. When others suffer loss and become lost, we can help show them the way back to the light with love and compassion. Inside each of us is a God-given navigational system. Call it your soul, your spirit, your conscious. We can't love one another and serve others without paying attention to that inner guidance. There are millions of people in this world who block out their spiritual side with greed or hate or fear. We need to let our light dispel the darkness, for that is why we are sent here, to manifest light and love and peace. Before you can become a medium, you need to go inward and find the silence and peace that lies within. If you don't find peace there, you have some work to do. Most of us have obstacles to address, especially from family of origin stuff. Some of us may be selfish or egotistical, or we may need to work on being patient, loving, or kind. Others may have addictions. Whatever the issue, it's impossible to advance our gifts to the highest degree unless we can clean house first and get rid of our personal baggage. And she shares a lot of her own personal story in this book. She talks about growing up in a dysfunctional family and the shame that comes from that and how she worked through her faith and her spirituality to clean that out before she advanced and became a medium. And, you know, if you guys haven't heard of her, what's really cool, I think, about her is she started out as a nun. And then she just couldn't avoid the mediumship that kept coming up. And she eventually left the convent and has started her own spiritual church in New Jersey. So it's she's, just a cool story. She's a good writer. It's, it's easy mm -hmm. to follow. It's an incredible reference book to have as well, even if you're just considering opening up to mediumship. I think that's as useful as 
um, some of the other, the Gordon Smith, the Bridging Two Worlds, the other, well, that's her book, but Gordon Smith's work and even John Holland's latest book, there's just so much information in there that you can use. I totally agree. Okay, what's your next one? My next one is Resonance, and this is Nine Practices for Harmonious Health and Vitality. And this is by Joyce Whiteley Hawks, who's also a PhD. And this book, I, we've talked about this, that I can go geek with the best of them. And I love when someone has been in a science-based background and then they find juju or they find the mind-body connection. I, I love that because I think we need the validation to just say, oh, this and this is happening. So, but her, this is um, very, very science background. So sometimes the vocabulary in this book is a little, that's not my strongest subject. So I, I, I can read it, I can understand it, but there is some vocabulary in this book. But what this is about is her experiences and her journey, and I'm going to read this from, from the book itself, richly detailed with Joyce's own experiences on her inspiring journey from being rooted solely in science to her current life as a healer including everything from a near-death experience to fire walking to months in Bali studying with healers and shamans. This book will allow you to explore your own ability to heal at every level. The focus of Hawk's work lies in creating harmony between the physical and the spiritual realms, each of which has its own energy. To experience optimal health, the energies of these realms must resonate with one another. Nine couplets, each expressing one innate trait of the human and one of the divine, explore the energies of these realms and their interactions. Each couplet presents two related ideas that together provide a simple, grounded starting place for your personal practice of health and vitality. There's a lot with current research and new findings and how your cells work, but it's a very fresh new take on that mind-body connection, and, but it, it pulls in the biology to support it as well, which if you like that kind of thing, and so one of the couplets is appreciation and awareness. Another one is intuition and action. And they all complement and bring that, that divine connection together. Really, really interesting book. That does sound really interesting. Well, if you're looking to manifest something this summer, or if you're thinking about working on a goal book or a vision board to start off your summer, I recommend The Miracle Club by Mitch Horowitz. One thing I like about him is he's a really practical writer. He doesn't like some of the new age thought about manifesting where it's just kind of like, oh, if you think about a Mercedes and you really, really, really want it, you will get a Mercedes. You know, he doesn't take that type of thought. He works with the old thinkers of metaphysics who actually called themselves the miracle club so he talks a lot about ralph waldo emerson napoleon hill neville goddard william james andrew jackson davis um Ogmandino, like you know some of the older writers florence scovel shin and he takes all of their teachings and modernizes it into this book the miracle club and he talks about how powerful our thoughts are but how you can't just think something or believe something and hope it's just going to materialize. You have to take action. And he has a lot of really good hands-on exercises. I, I like books that don't just tell me what to do or give me stories of, hey, this person did it, so can you. I like books that walk me through how I can do it. And so he gives a lot of things like specific things you can do. And there was one in there, Denise, that I had never heard of. And I'm a Catholic. It's called the 54 day miracle. And, and what it is, is you say the rosary every day for 54 days hmm. and it is said to help bring on miracles. So it doesn't have a, like a Christian bent. It's just one of the examples uh, that he puts in there. But he talks about what is a miracle, why are you worthy of a miracle, and how can you start to manifest more of them in your life with a focus on taking responsibility and action steps toward manifesting what you really, really want. It's not enough to talk about it. It's not enough to think about it or believe that you deserve it. You have to go and take those action steps. And so that book really can help you do that. 
Ooh, might need to pick that one up. My next book is one that I have had for a long time that I have told myself I'm going to read that I haven't read. I know that people have miraculous changes in their life when they do this process. I don't know why the hell I fight it so much. And the name of the book is The Tapping Solution by Nick Ortner. And we have I, so many of you, I know you've done this, you've heard it. I don't know what my block is about the tapping, Samantha. I know it's good. I, I used to do a little bit of it with, um, what's the Hawaiian healing? Hokopohono, someone's going to correct. I don't correct. know. But, but this, you know about tapping and EFT and you tap on certain meridians in a certain yes. sequence and it rewires your body. I have read, I mean, all, not like anyone who's anyone talks about this, but this has been studied, renowned. People have had amazing results. So I thought maybe this is my summer that I'll try to put it into practice and read the book. And I have looked at videos of this. I don't know what my block is unless it's on some, I'll have to go back to books and read the subconscious book again, that there's something that this will be that breakthrough to for what whatever's been holding me back from stepping up to the next level. I agree it completely. And I don't know either. I'm suspicious of it, which makes no sense because I believe with my Reiki attunements that if I put my hands on you, that good energy is going to go through you. And yet I can't wrap my head around tapping on my jaw to create more positivity. I don't know. It, it just, I'm suspicious of it. And, and yet have you seen Wayne Dyer demonstrated? I mean, yes. that's a pretty powerful demonstration. We've had listeners email us who do it and have had wonderful outcomes. So I have the same block. So you're okay. going to have to let me know. All right. And it, right, I'm just going to read this really quickly. Tapping, also known as EFT, is a powerful tool for improving your life on multiple levels, mental, emotional, and physical. It has been proven to effectively address a range of issues from anxiety, chronic pain, addiction and fear, to weight control, financial abundance, stress relief, and so much more. It's also one of the easiest and fastest practices to learn. You can learn it in minutes, do it anywhere, and on virtually any issue, and oftentimes experience immediate results. How does it work? Based on the principles of both ancient acupressure and modern psychology, tapping concentrates on specific meridian endpoints while focusing on negative emotions or physical sensations. Combined with spoken word, tapping helps calm the nervous system to restore the balance of energy in the body and rewire the brain to respond in healthy ways. So in the book, you learn not only how to start tapping, you get a history and cutting-edge science about it. There's that science again. And step-by-step instructions, exercise, diagrams. I mean, when you read that, it's like, well, why the hell wouldn't I do this? This seems like a, a no-brainer. You know, maybe you have the same block I have because I'm always suspicious of anything that's easy. I feel like good things usually take hard work. And maybe that's a block in other areas of our life too. Oh, I think that's a really good point. I think that is, you just hit that one spot on because we've, we've talked about this in other shows about you have to work really hard to make a, get ahead financially or you have, you know, how much is, emphasis is put on hard work and ethic and and maybe it is that easy maybe it is so well, you're gonna have to that'll be your homework for this summer and well, you're gonna have to report yeah especially that. since i just blasted on all over the planet <laughs> saying that I need to... <laughs> all right okay so for anyone who is listening to this show and thinks they may be intuitive but they're not really sure they believe in that. Maybe they have the same block you and I have with the tapping stuff and they think, ah, oh, that psychic stuff. I don't know. They're just good readers of people. I recommend a book called Phenomenon, The Secret History of the U.S. Government's Investigation into Extrasensory Perception and Psychokinesis. It's written by Annie Jacobson. It's a pretty thick book. I flew through it, though, because... Denise, it is just filled with fascinating facts of how the government trained psychic spies. Ooh. And it has all these stories, and they're all from FOIAs. They're all from, you know, the Freedom of Information Act. These are all – Annie Jacobson is a reporter with, um, I think, the Washington Post. So she's a very 
well-known, highly regarded, won awards journalist. You know, she she's, knows her stuff. And everything that she presents is footnoted and backed up, and she has heavily, heavily researched. So it's not like, oh, I heard a story that this happened. It's fact, what she's reporting. And the stories that she shares in there are just really overwhelming. And, and the people she was able to meet, and she talks about Yuri Geller and how sometimes he was set up to fail and how sometimes maybe he was faking it. But when he was working with government officials, he was able to do extraordinary things. Um, he talks about Pat Price who's a fascinating character. He was a police officer. He was a Scientologist. And so there's a lot of, he hasn't really been talked about a lot because of that. He was trained by Russell Targ with this government program and the stuff he was able, when they kidnapped, um, I think it's Patty Hearst is the case he worked on, that famous kidnapping in the 70s. Just through remote viewing, he was able to describe the vehicle the make and model and year that she was taken in. And they were able to prove that was correct. And then she reports on Russell Targ, who headed up this program. He was telling a couple of people about this. And, and one of his friends was like, well, can anyone do it? And he was like, yeah, I think so. So this one woman, I think she was a journalist herself, no psychic ability, never thought she could do this, never wanted to do this. He ran her through the program, and she ended up being their top remote viewer. Wow. And, so, and then she talks about how these remote viewers in this program, you know, Russell Targ and his friend, I think it's Hal Putoff, I can't remember who worked with him, but they were given a grant by the government to train these people. Well, they were remote viewing, like, Russian stuff. You know, this is still during the Cold War. And when Targ would submit his reports, some of the higher-ups were like, well, we don't know who these remote viewers are. They don't work for us. So then he tasked Russell Targ with training just random, you know, army soldiers. And so they would give this task to a bunch of the men and women working for the armed forces. And whoever scored kind of high, they'd pull to work on this remote viewing team. And they did phenomenal stuff. So... If you like history and stuff like that, you'll enjoy this. But if you are looking for evidence that psychic ability is real and has been tested and proven, this is a really good book to check out. It sounds amazing. It sounds it, really amazing. It's really fascinating. And it, and it makes me wonder, because she talks a lot in there, too, about how the Russians were doing the same thing, training their psychic spies. And it just makes me wonder, if is this still going on? How has this advanced? I don't know. Big rabbit hole. Yep. It's a fun <laughs> rabbit hole, though. Um, my next book is uh, Peace from Broken Pieces by Ilyana Vizanz. And this is not a light read, but it's a very, um, it's a story and all the things that happened and about when you've gone through so many difficult things and loss and grief and how faith can be the what you need to hang on to to pull you through. It's not a how-to book. It's more of a, a very inspirational book of looking through at someone else's life and getting more perspective on your own. Uh, breaks down, you know, just how when we go through painful things, it's often the catalyst we need to, to really grow and blossom and flourish. I love her. Yeah. And it's very true and genuine and a little gritty, which I like gritty. So, Have you ever seen her show? No. She has a show on the uh, Oprah Winfrey Network where she takes families who are struggling with an issue, whether it's adultery or addiction or financial problems or what have you, and she basically moves in with them for a couple of days and works th through their issues with them. It's really fascinating. Ooh. It's not a show you can binge watch because oh, it's no. hard stuff, but it's, it's an interesting show to check out, and I think her writing is so raw and real. Mm-hmm. Okay, one book that I just started, I'm only on like chapter three, it's called A Guide to Psychic Protection by Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And if you guys haven't heard of her, I really recommend you guys check her out. I think she's written like 50 books, and I'm not even kidding. She writes books all the time on all sorts of subjects that I'm really interested in. She's written about 
energy vampires and uh, psychic phenomenon and the jinn, um, aliens, uh, time slips, all sorts of fun stuff. She edits the Fate magazine now, and so she does a lot of books of compilations of those stories. This I've read a lot of books in psychic protection. I think as an intuitive, we all really should. But what I like about this book is she gives a lot of the history of psychic protection. She talks a lot about Dion Fortune, who wrote, I think, one of the best books on psychic protection called Psychic Self-Defense. But again, kind of like Mitch Horowitz, she looks at the old school thinking on psychic protection. And this book isn't so much just how to protect yourself from negative people. It's how to protect yourself from negative stuff too. She talks about the aura and how to defend the aura, how to call on spiritual forces that resonate with your religious beliefs. Um, she talks about how there is such a thing as just people thinking really negative thoughts about you can really impact your energy, that thoughts are real. And if someone's really thinking bad thoughts about you, it can affect your life and how to prevent that from happening. She talks about weird, creepy stuff that happens when we sleep, you know, people who have the hag syndrome or nightmares and ways to protect yourself. She talks about uh, amulets and different remedies that you can do, even like hand gestures. She covers different saints and angels that you can call on. And she does have a whole section in there on righteous anger, which I thought was interesting since we had just done a show on that. Um, she talks about that fascinating woman who went to Nepal, Alexandra, uh, gosh, what is her name? Alexandra Neal Smith. She went to Nepal to study with the, with the, Tibet, the, the Tibetan monks and Alexandra David Neal, that's her name. And she learned to create her own tulpa with a thought form. Have you ever heard of tulpas? Yes. That whole topic is really Kind of creeps me out. I know, but it's really, really interesting. And so um, I have read Alexandra David Neal's book on that episode, but, but she summarizes it really, really nicely in there. And so there's just a lot of interesting pieces in this book. And again, a lot of actual stuff you can do to... Um, to protect your energy. So I think that would be a great one for empaths. And it sounds like one you could go back to over and over again. Yeah, and it's little. I'm looking at it now. It's um, 136 pages. Who can't? No, wait, that's the appendix. Hold on. It's even less than that. 132 pages. Mm -hmm. So similar to the first book I mentioned, quick, yeah. could read it in one or two sittings and then go back and revisit. Now, my next book is a little more specific. It's The Norse Shaman, and it's by Evelyn Ristick, Ancient Spiritual Practices of the Northern Tradition. And so many times when we think of shamanic work or shamans, we always go to Peru, Central America, or the Aborigine. And this is based on the shamanism of the Northern, of Northern European, of the things from the Viking age, things that have survived uh, the, the remnants of, of Norse shamanic spirituality from myth and folk tradition in Iceland and Green, all that area. It's very, very fascinating. So there are some similarities, which goes through all the indigenous peoples of, of shamanic work, but there are some things that are very, very specific to that part of the world and this specific type of shamanism. So it's, uh, I think you, if anyone is interested in, in that field and you'd like a different perspective, this is an amazing book. There are uh, rituals, there are stories, there's step-by-step -step instructions, there's, but it's just a whole other perspective and you know that this is a topic that I really love. Just brings more credence to the interconnectedness of all of this ancient work, of all this work that has been around as long as we have and how it may be in Northern Europe, it may be in Central America, it may be in Australia or New Zealand, but there's still a premise that everything's the same. So some really unique techniques, well-written, easy to, easy to read, but also you have to concentrate a bit if that makes any sense. So you yes. might have to go through it a couple times, but just think to, if you are interested in opening that door a little bit further, 
this is a great, great book to have. Well, my next book is one, again, I think I've talked about a lot, but I have to mention it again because I think it's my all-time favorite book. It's called Testimony of Light, An Extraordinary Message of Life After Death by Helen Greaves. Have you read it? No. You have to, Denise. You would absolutely love it. It's about this woman, and she loses her best friend, uh, Frances Banks, who was an Anglican nun for 25 years. And when she dies, she starts communicating with Helen Greaves. And this book is all about their communications. And really what, what Frances Banks tells Helen Greaves is what life is like on the other side. Now, when I was first opening up to my intuition and mediumship, it was so fascinating and exciting, but it also left me with a lot of questions because people would show me that they were working on the other side and they had homes and lives and it looked very much like our life here, just different. And I remember thinking so often when I would do a reading and those messages would come through, I just remember thinking, am I just making this up because I want this client to feel better that their loved one is, you know, alive and well and doing all this stuff and not just sitting on a cloud. And then I found this book and everything I had seen in readings was in this book. And it, it was just so interesting to me. She talks about how, you know, when you pass over, if you've passed over from a trauma, you will have like a nursing home type of experience, you know, where you will rest and be able to recharge. She talks about the life review. She talks about how when you are fully adjusted to life on the other side, you will be given a job, something to do. And it just matched everything I had been shown in reading. So it was very validating for me. The other thing that always kind of bothered me when I was starting out, so many of my peers would always say, oh, there's no hell. There's no such thing. That's an illusion that we've created. And Frances Banks tells Helen Greaves, not that there's a hell, but that there is a darker realm where negative souls go. And this too, I had seen in my readings. I had seen that there were levels to the afterlife. And depending on how evolved your soul was on your last earthly realm would determine which realm level you went to. And again, I remember doubting myself going, well, is this my Catholic belief in purgatory and heaven and hell and all of that? And yet in this book, she talks so much about how one of the women is because when Frances Banks dies, I think because of her work as an Anglican nun, and she also was a psychologist. She wrote a lot of psychological books on um, like frontiers of revelation, for example, she worked in one of these nursing homes where she would help people adjust to the fact that they were dead and, and that they needed to wake up to this new life they were now living. And so one of the women who was in charge of that, I mean, I'm calling it a nursing home, but it's not the right word, said to her, do you want to vi visit the lower astral realms? And Frances Banks was like, yeah. And she said, okay, you know, you can't go alone. You don't have enough light yet, but I'm going to take you. And so they went, and Frances Banks describes, it looks just like you would think. It's, it, it kind of looked like a slum in a city, and there was dark. It was like cloudy and foggy and gray all the time. Kind of reminded me of, um, I think it's The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis when they're on the bus. And Anyway, mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like that. And there's this wonderful scene Frances Banks tells Helen Greaves about where there's this man and he's a painter and he, the only colors he has to paint with are black and gray and brown. And the woman who's taking Francis Banks to this lower level says, oh, he's, he's someone we've been working with for a long time, but he's, he's not ready to see the light. He's holding on to his anger and righteous bitterness and he's, he won't even really see us or talk to us. So Frances Banks goes over to talk to him and she says, are those the only colors you have? And he says, those are the only colors worth painting. And he's all angry and mean. And, and so Frances Banks just sits back and looks at what he's painting. And she notices 
that he's leaving all these blank spaces on the canvas. And she says to her mentor, look, he's still painting with the light. He's letting it in by leaving all these white spaces blank. And the mentor says, he's getting there. He'll be released soon. He's getting there. Have faith. It's just riveting. There's another scene where this, this man dies and Francis Banks greets him. And the man says, where's my wife? Where's my wife? I've missed her. I've been waiting to see her. Where's my wife? And they have to go to this lower level to, to get her so he can be reunited with her. Now, it's not a lower level like I just described, but it's on a lower level. And Frances asks her mentor, why is this woman here and her husband is up here? And it turns out that on this astral plane, the, this husband and wife were in concentration camps during World War II. Oh. And the man in his lifetime was able to forgive his captors and was able to move and, and live into a healthy life of forgiveness and acceptance. But the woman was not. She hated this one Nazi officer who treated her very, very badly. And in this afterlife, she was astrally chained to him. Ooh. And so the husband said he would work with her now that he was over there with her and help her release those chains and be able to rise up to the level he was at through forgiveness. And it talks about how he's able to help her do that. She meets the psychologist that she loved and admired on earth. And he has this beautiful home in this lovely garden and she says, your garden is so beautiful. Like, what do we use over here to make this stuff grow? And he shows her how he pours light onto the plants to help them grow, not water. Oh. It's just so cool. I love it. I, I've, I read it a lot. Oh, I'll have to check that one out. I think you'd like it. All right, go ahead. I'll stop. Oh, no, no, that was fascinating. Um, my next book is, it's kind of an odd choice, but it's one, it's old. I've had it for a long time. And I'm not promoting this as a religion or a lifestyle, but the name of the book is To Ride a Silver Broomstick, New Generation Witchcraft, and it's by Silver Ravenwolf. The, why I'm recommending this is it's a really good little how-to book on protection, grounding, using crystals, divination. There's little tiny blurbs throughout the whole book. So it's not a traditional witchcraft kind of book. That's just the title. But there's all, a lot of the things we talk about of how to cleanse and consecrate and charge objects, creating sacred space, um, using divination, telepathy, psychometry, and bilocation. So it's all of this stuff jammed in, but you just get a little bite of different things so that if there is something that you'd like a little more information on, it's kind of a fun book just to pick up and look through. Oh, I love that. Well, I have another weird book like yours that I'm making my way through now slowly. It's, it's quite the intellectual book. Mm -hmm. But if anyone is interested in UFOs and weird stuff like I am, you might like this book. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but in the UFO community, there's this new thinking that it's not so much extraterrestrials, but ultra-terrestrials, and that it's really a phenomenon of consciousness rather than little green men. And this book is called Demonic Reality, A Field Guide to the Other World by Patrick Harper. And it's a look throughout histories of UFOs, fairies, phantom animals, visions of the Virgin Mary, alien abductions, and mysterious lights in the sky. So what he does is he shows how these are all connected by using ideas proposed by Carl Jung and the romantic poets like William Butler Yeats and William Blake. He connects the old-fashioned fairies to the modern occupants of UFOs. He highlights the similarities and sightings of the older black dogs or more recent mysterious cats and yetis and Bigfoot. Lights in the sky have always existed through history, he says. Once they were seen as witches, now they are UFOs. The ephemeral materializations of spiritualism seances have been replaced by crop circles, and all of them are manifestations of demonic reality. 
Demonic creatures and events are not literally real. We will never capture unequivocal evidence that any of these entities exist. But if you try to deny the existence of the other world, it will simply find other ways to express itself. It's a real thing that we sense in other ways besides the physical senses. The recent plethora of skeptical opinions in the press may actually be causing the other world to produce more tangible signs like the crop circles or these bogus men in black who can't be traced. The demonic is part of us and cannot be banished by denial and disbelief. So it's really interesting if you like that weird stuff. And, and he talks in there, when I say demonic, it's D-A-I, it's not demon. And he talks in here about that word demonic and how, it, you know, how the ancient Greeks believed that we all had a guardian daemon which was a guide that was with us from our first breath to our last, who helped us to grow and learn and would challenge us. Um, I'm trying to find where I underlined his description of the daemon, but of course I can't find it right now. Oh, here it is. Guardian angels derived from Neoplatonism and along with other classes of angels became part of the Christian dogma at the Council of Nicaea in 325. But long before this, the ancient Greeks believed that individuals were attached at birth to a daemon who determined wholly or part their destiny. And he talks about how Carl Jung saw, walked with, and spoke with his own daemon that he named Philemon. And he wrote a whole book about this, Young did, and, and I think it's called The Red Book. But it's just, it's really, really interesting. It's, it's very intelligent. You know what I mean? Like, I need a dictionary reading this. Mm -hmm. but, it's, but it's got tons of history. And it's kind of, if you liked um, Passport to Magonia by um, Jacques Vallée or some of the newer works that are trying to look at what is all this stuff? fairies and aliens and Bigfoot and men in black and all these weird sightings, black-eyed kids. What is this? What really truly is this? What are the crop circles? Some of the crop circles that have been seen lately have binary code in them and are actually carrying messages. What is this? Who is this? And, and this book dives into all of that. I'm only on chapter four. That goes into, uh, well, I'm going to jump back to the shamanic work where there you do make connections with, with fairies and gnomes and other realm creatures or, or entities or, you know, energies. I don't even, can't find the words for it right this second. So I, I think that would be really, really interesting. A little scary sometimes, though. Yeah, I mean, it is. I, I remember I was doing a reading for someone who called me just because she had something negative at her house. And she said, it's not really a haunting. I don't hear voices. I don't, you know, see flashes of things. There's just this negative thing that is sitting here. And she didn't pick the house. They had moved. Her husband got a job here and he picked the house and bought the house. And he's just a very ground, I think he's an engineer, just a very grounded, linear thinker. He didn't feel it, but she and her kids did. And when I went over there and tuned in, I don't even know how to describe it. I, I don't know about you, Denise, but when you were first getting involved in this otherworldly stuff, didn't you think like fairies and gnomes and things like that was just kind of fairy tales? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and didn't you feel kind of weird even talking about it? Yes. Me too. And so as I'm walking through the house, I'm talking to my guides, and I'm, I'm asking, like, what is this? Because I could feel this heaviness, and it was almost like I was waiting for someone to go get out, you know, like in the, <laughs> in the movies. Because whatever this thing was, it didn't, didn't want anyone there. And sometimes when I can't hear my guides or connect with them, I just imagine a chalkboard. Mm -hmm. And I asked them to draw on the chalkboard what I need to communicate. And all I saw on this chalkboard in my mind's eye was elemental. Oh, okay. And I remember telling her, like, she needs to designate a piece of the property that is just for this elemental fairy thing that believes it's his land. And she did that and emailed me about six months later and said the negative feeling completely went away. And ever since then, I've been fascinated by what is this? still don't have answers, but there's something to all that strange stuff. 
And that's the word I was looking for a minute ago is elementals. So perfect. Yeah. Like if I could just say real quick, one of my favorite quote unquote ghost stories I've ever read was about a famous ghost researcher whose name escapes me at this moment. Of course, I'll remember it when we are no longer on air, (laughs) but, um, this old woman asked him to help with a haunting in her house because she kept hearing little kids running around and it was kind of creeping her out as little kid ghost would creep anyone out. Right. It's a sad thought to think of children as ghost. And so he helped her for a long time and he got really good EVPs of these kids laughing and playing of balls bouncing, but with all of his electronic equipment, he couldn't get these things to go away. And so Throughout the rest of the years, as he helped out on other hauntings, that one case always nagged at him because he was never able to show what it was. There was no history in the house that showed kids had died there. There was no trauma that had happened in the house. It always nagged at him. So about 10 years after that, he went back to the house to check on the old lady and see what had happened if she was still seeing these little kids. So he rang the doorbell and this woman answered and he explained who he was and asked if she was still living there. And she said, no, she passed away. And she said, but come inside. I need to talk to you. And so she introduced him to the family. And when they all talked, she said that the kids hated that house and were terrified because they often saw an old woman. And so he has now theorized that maybe half the hauntings aren't even hauntings, but they're time slips because the woman that they, that these kids describe seeing fit the description perfectly of the woman years ago who had been quote unquote haunted by these little kids. Oh, that's fascinating. fascinating? I know. Wow. What's your next book? Or are we out of time? Well, I can do this one. I think I have one more. Okay. Uh, And this is, I'll do it quickly. Um, Anatomy of the Spirit, The Seven Stages of Power and Healing by Carolyn Meese. And this is very, very much about energy medicine, practitioners. But this is her, the the whole premise of the book is the seven centers of spiritual and physical power. And she brings together the ancient wisdom of the three spiritual traditions, the Hindu chakras, the Christian sacraments, and the Kabbalah's tree of life to demonstrate the seven stages through which everyone must pass in search for higher consciousness and spiritual maturity. So she goes through this model that you can help develop your own latent powers of intuition as you simultaneously cultivate your personal power and spiritual growth. She is such a no-nonsense, get-the-work-done teacher, and I really admire her, and I love her recent work on archetypes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I read that book. That's a good one, too. Yeah, and That's Sacred Contracts. I, I like all her books. And you're right. It's no-nonsense. This is There is no airy-fairy, but it's no. incredibly knowledgeable stuff and deep, and she's a good writer. She really is, and she's deeply compassionate and wise, even mm-hmm. though she comes off as no nonsense and let's get to work. That's, that's what you need right. sometimes. Do you well, have any more? Um, I don't think so. I was going to mention visions, trips, and crowded rooms because that's just such a fascinating read. And, and I like summer reading to be – I like books that I can pick up and put down. And mm-hmm. visions, trips, and crowded rooms is just stories. Of, it's a lovely book. It really is. It's, it's just stories of what people have seen before they've crossed over. And so it really validates that our loved ones are never alone when they die. And I just, that's another book I've read a couple of times. And it, it's a great one to just pick up and put down because it's, it's just stories. You don't have to read from page one to page 200. So that was the only other one. Well, we've mentioned a lot. Like I said, I will create a list and put this in a post on our Facebook page under Enlightened Empaths. So if you guys want to go over there, and check it out and get some ideas. A lot of the books we recommended can be found at your local library. I don't know about your library, Denise. Whoever deals with buying books at my lovely library, I don't think they like the paranormal world. (laughs) So I have to do a lot of interlibrary loads or just go to my local bookstore. But some of these can definitely be found at your library. 
We hope we've given you guys some good ideas for your summer reading. And we'd love to hear from you. If there's a favorite book you have that you really would like us to know about, please share it with us. That's how I found The Unusual Life of Thomas Weaver by um, one of you guys. A lot, of, a lot of the books that I have read this year have been from listener recommendations. So we'd love to hear from you. You can message us at Enlightened Empaths or you can just comment on our book post so that other people can see books that you really liked. If you have a question or story that you'd like to share with us for our July Community Connections, you can always message us on, e on Facebook or you can email us enlightenedempaths at gmail.com. Don't forget that we are on iTunes and Spotify. If you have enjoyed our shows, please consider sharing them with a friend. And it really, really, really helps us if you take a minute to review our show. It helps other people to find us so that we can continue to grow our community. And we appreciate you all so much for when you do that. Thanks a lot for listening. We hope you have a great week. Don't forget to always show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.